Hi, how was your week? Oh, interesting. George got his pacemaker yesterday. Yes. And that was an interesting experience watching an EKG after a pacemaker mm-hmm. that's been in constant atrial fib. So atrial fib VTAC pacemaker fires, you can see it firing and he's laying in bed and he's just doing fine. It was interesting. Wow. Yeah. So it was, we'll see how that goes. And I ran, I had soft tissue acute and we ran that in the car on the way home. He's never had any discomfort and he's got this, you know, incision in his chest and this metal gadget and wires and. Right. Yeah. So before anybody asks a question about, we always, um, we caution pacemakers and FSM, but when it's not pace dependent, it's fine to run. Well, and also the magnetic converter run down by the waist. Right. Unless you're running it across the chest, it's really not even a thing. And what I found when George was in the hospital with his hip fracture was that he was on constant cardiac monitoring. And we ran the magnetic converter kind of nonstop after the fracture, after the hip surgery. He never bruised from the hip fracture. We ran the fracture protocol three times before we even called the ambulance because we knew what was wrong. And um, then after the hip surgery, they walked in and, and he's on monitoring and you're running the converter and there's no there's no uh, artifact in the EKG monitor. Right. If he ran electrodes on him anywhere on his body, the artifact causes an entire team of people in white uniforms coming thundering down the hall. Um, but with the converter, it's just not a problem. So right. I don't know how that works, but it worked. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Good. Yes. Yeah. So, and then when was the clinic open house? Was that just last weekend? Yes. Yes. It was just last weekend. Cause we talked, I, we saw all the pictures on Facebook and Kevin did a great job of live streaming. So for those of us that were here, we could feel like we were there. And what you couldn't taste was the food. Well, I felt like I could taste the shrimp. Those shrimp look delicious. The shrimp are great but the thing that was really incomprehensible was now I thought they were store-bought but they weren't raffi thin sliced sweet potatoes mm-hmm. and then flash deep fried them he tried air frying them that didn't work so he flash deep fried them so they made into sweet potato fresh sweet potato chips mm. they took this avocado creme fraiche stuff in a in a pastry tube and squoze a little dollop on it and then there's a vegetarian kind of caviar so there were three little beads of whatever this stuff is that whose name I can't remember and then a triangle of rainbow radish and a single strip of chive across each one I saw those pictures and just talking about it makes my mouth water. Yes. But the best, the best part was just people's reaction to the clinic. It was awesome. Yeah. So now that I have, I had a whole family that was booked 
this week and next week, they, they all canceled. So now I have time actually to send out the email to the mailing list, to the mailing list, the waiting list. Don't worry. It's on the way. So we have the EMR and the scheduling system and it's Candace Elliott's description of building an airplane while it's flying is, is perfect. Perfect. That's exactly yes. what we're doing. So it was an interesting, busy week. Yes. And it's only Monday or Wednesday. I mean, it's, we're kind of stuck in the middle. I was so excited today was Wednesday. I, I feel like we have so many questions that came in and so many like comments. It was a very busy week for feedback. Oh, so, I love feedback. Yeah. People got a kick out of my rant about the psoas utensil. And the um, <laughs> so I had, I had a lot of people write to me that um, they, they were my backup in this. Um, oh, I'm, I'm hello. I know. I know the, the thing that, um, I guess made me one, a skeptic, an FSM skeptic is especially in professional sports. We see so many gadgets and so many appliances and utensils and gizmos and things that come in and come out. And, um, what we do is not a utensil and it's not a gadget and you can't buy it on Amazon. So that was one of the talking points that I had today was to the patients and to the practitioners that are listening, when you get a custom care, it is, it is a blank slate and you have so many choices in the <clears throat> bank of all the programs that you have written, but that is not the end all and be all. And I think probably years ago, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think when I first got introduced to it, all the practitioners, especially in the sports world, we would just use the modes in the mode bank. And it would, it would just be that. And now, especially teaching it, I think we're really getting the practitioners to think about what the frequencies are and use the mode bank, but tweak it or write your own program. Right? Well, and the difference with FSM is there are people that will just sell you a gadget. You can yes. buy that. So as gadget, just buy it, buy the yeah. gadget. We aren't going to tell you when to use it, when not to use it. Imagine using that gadget on somebody with an aortic aneurysm. I uh, know. And they have tenderness and they have back pain. And somebody says, Oh, it's your so as, and you use that gadget on somebody with a, I don't know, a uh, three centimeter aortic aneurysm, really? Just above the iliac artery split, that would be not good. No. So I had a meeting today with the president of Western States because we have the training program and we have a intern coming from Life College, Life University in California. And um, it's like, you know, it's really silly that we have relationships with life and with Logan and the local chiropractic college has no idea. And he was, we were talking about the devices. He said, well, we don't sell a device without the training. And the challenge that we have is when you sign up for the video course, you can buy a, a gadget, you can buy the machine, which is a little bit terrifying because you have the machine and you have this whole mode bank. Now you get 50% response, just shooting in the dark, right? Mm -hmm. 
But the, the optimal is knowing what you're doing and treating that. Yes. So this, this week I had a patient, I don't know if I talked about her, probably didn't talk about her last week, but I had a patient that had, um, she had a full motorcycle helmet on. You did, you did talk about her. Yes. Right. So her um, neck flexion extension x-rays came back with no hypermobility, which was amazing. And, but still when you ran torn and broken in the ligaments, her upper cervicals just relaxed. And that was the only thing that would do it. So I'm not sure what's that about. Um, and she had standard programs, but I tweaked all of them. So yeah. the one for neck pain included 40 and 44 because she has a fistula when I sent her for vestibular testing. She had a fistula that had healed. Well, fistulas never heal because the way to heal a fistula is to lay in bed for six weeks. Well, she laid in bed for six weeks because her jaw was wired shut and she, her face was broken. Right. The fistula in her ear healed. But when you ran 40 and 44, which is to quiet the activity of the vestibular system, all of her neck muscles relax. Right. So her neck pain protocol included 40 and 44. Right. Then I sent her to an ENT that looked up her broken nose and said, wow, your nose is really inflamed and congested. So he prescribed a bunch of stuff. And what we found was that her, the left zygomatic arch is the one that was fractured, but she had tenderness right along here that I couldn't get rid of by running anything for the bone. Hmm. I ran when she saw the ENT and came back and said, my sinuses are really congested. And oh, by the way, after all the fractures, my sinuses were full of blood. Oh, so I ran 284 in the sinuses mm -hmm. and this pain, this specific pain right here went away. Right. Right. So what made me think of that? Well, I had bleeding in the sinuses. What does that leave? Blood clots in the sinuses. I have a frequency for that. So we did 284 in our sinuses and this pain. Went. So the ability to use frequencies thoughtfully make it not just a gadget. Yeah. Does your machine treat asthma? No. The device is approved in the category of TENS devices. So it can help with the thoracic the machine can help with the thoracic pain that goes with asthma. Right. The frequencies have been shown to reduce inflammation and inflammation is associated with asthma. So we have some good clinical um, data showing that the frequencies help asthma. Yeah, right. but does your machine treat asthma? No, the device is approved in the category of TENS devices. So it's... <laughs> I'm, I'm only laughing because last week somebody had reached out to me who wanted to me to treat their son for um, autism and ADHD. Um, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a sports therapist. Oh, but does your, but I heard your machine is very good for ADD and ADHD. 
I'm a sports therapist. I would love to refer you to somebody that can treat your son, but unless your son has a musculoskeletal and I kind of went into the, the same spiel. Um, so great that everything is, the word is getting out and all the things that we can treat, but I think it's important to stay in your lane. And, um, a day after that, um, message came in, I, somebody had reached out to me on Instagram and wanted to buy a custom care. And I said, well, I haven't seen you, um, before, but I can do telemedicine. I can refer to refer a practitioner to you and you're looking, no, I just want a machine and I just want protocols. And I said, I'm sorry, we don't, it doesn't work. Right, like like Amazon. <laughs> I know. And I wanted to write that. Um, and yeah. they, they wrote back a, a day later. Oh, I reached out to somebody else, another company that sells microcurrent um, devices and said, never mind. I got one from this company. I said, oh, best of luck to you. Good luck with that. Yeah. And, and the concept for me that the other company who shall remain nameless would do that is really. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Um, I, you know, we, we've talked about programming and how to set devices up a few podcasts ago and how to set um, expirations on, on that. And I don't set expirations, especially with my athletes every year, because I'm not busy enough. Um, I am too busy, but I feel it's important to check in with a patient at least once a year. So I can tweak the device and I can make it as effective as possible because I love FSM. I want it to survive. I don't want it to be ineffective and wind up in somebody's closet. Well, and just to add uh, exactly, that's, you want it to be current. Um, we do have the ability to reprogram them at a distance, which is nice. Which right? is a huge thing for, for my world. But the other thing is that the FSM equipment that's made in China that shall remain nameless, they don't have product liability insurance. Mm. I'm just saying. They don't. Precision distributing does. Yeah. So good luck with that. Right. There we go. I'm just saying. Right. Not to mention karma, which. <sighs> well, that just karma <laughs> takes care of everything and everybody, I think. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Yes. So one of the um, topics that we talk about on a pretty much weekly basis, whenever we talk about patients is pain and treating pain is probably what got most of us in the field that we're in anyways, we all see pain at different levels. So somebody had wrote in, um, Kim, you always talk about taking someone's pain down as my, that's my go-to, you know, when we have a new patient, you'll say, I don't want to make you worse. I'll say, I want to make a dent in your pain. They were saying, how do you even know where to start when treating someone's pain? And at first I had that face too. Like, what do you mean? Where do you start? You have to go with, and then I was like, okay, there is pain is sourced. Let's start where the source of the pain can, it can be central or it can be peripheral sometimes. And it's psychological and it can, it can, it can, it can, it can, it can grow. If it's peripheral, it's always, 
also centralized. If it has lasted more than three days, there's spinal cord sensitization and there may or may not be central sensitization. So just, just so you know. And most, yes, and most patients don't seek you out within three days. Just saying it's more like three to six months <laughs> that somebody is dealing with pain or years even right by the time they get to see you. So, um, yes, you are treating their peripheral pain. You are using 396 to just take a peripheral nerve, quiet the activity of that peripheral nerve down, but you also are treating, like you said, centrally what's happening with the brain, brain parts, spinal cord, the emotions and all the other things. So that's why you need multiple machines. Exactly. I mean, I'm not a machine guy, but this lady from, um, with the face fracture. Yeah. I had five machines on her. Wow. One treating, um, what was that? One treating neck to abdomen to treat the vagus because of where she got fractured. Mm-hmm. One treating neck to chest for the disc, one for the facet, one for neck pain, and that was manual. So there were three just neck to chest. And then the thing that she wanted to get rid of was this pain right here. Oh, and the other one was for scarring and congestion in the lymphatics because the first thing on her list was her face was quite round this was Mm. all swollen and they told her that the swelling would take a year well it was gone in three days it was 50 percent gone in two hours and over the next two days it went down to like gone she said this is my face so she was happy with the swelling but we we treated the lymphatics just in case yeah so and then there's the patients where I can't remember if it was that was at the core or if it was a patient at the clinic. It's all kind of a blur. Yeah. But there was, is it a disc? Is it a facet? Oh, it was the guy at the core that came in and at the night and disc facet. He had just complaint was low back pain. Right. Well, it ended up being a psoas. Hmm. It, and it was scarring in the ureter and right. scarring in the kidneys, sclerosis in the fat pad, then sclerosis down in the bladder, and his back pain was gone. Like, right. period. And like, that was that was it. And he said, well, do you need to see me tomorrow night? And it's like, I don't think so. It's, that's, yeah, it's gone. Right. And so doing that without, like, if what you ran was low back pain, it wouldn't work. Right. Because that treats discs and facets. Well, as right. looking at his MRI, it should have been discs and facets. Right. But put your hands on him and his QLs were like a rock and his psoas was like a rock, which would account for the facet degeneration and the disc bulges. Yeah. And oh yeah, by the way, he did have kidney stones. And he said, I'm a roofer. Of course I fell on my back. Right. So we treated scarring in the ureter, the kidney, the sclerosis and the fat pad. Yeah. Got the psoas completely relaxed, got the QLs relaxed. It was done. 
was literally one session and he was eight years chronic. Wow. Um, and so if you were to see this patient clinically, um, I would want to say, yes, come back tomorrow and I'll teach you how to walk and strengthen everything again. So it would, so do you think objectively that, that, that those results would last permanently after one treatment? We taught him to walk again, but no, it's not ideal in a perfect world. It would be better to do, do it the way you do it. It's why I'm still hoping to poach a physical therapist because this young lady needed exercises for her neck and most patients need some sort of some version of what you do with them which is to teach them how to move and and re-coordinate movement yeah their coordination is yeah and and sometimes it's not even a full session or series of sessions for the you know for average person especially somebody who's quasi-sedentary sometimes it's just a few passes of active range of motion to, like you said, coordinate the movement and just to tell the brain to not be afraid and this won't hurt and this is okay. And so sometimes it only takes a few minutes, Um, but I found it really helps to close the door on those cases. Exactly. Well, that was the other thing with this girl she had done. She's really, does vigorous exercise and she'd done some sort of exercise three years ago and she got this sharp pain in her anterior hip and she'd done everything to try and get rid of it and it was 124 and 77 and you look at the I think it was the one of the probably the rectus femoris or the adductor magnus one of those in the anterior hip I just ran 124 and 77. And then when that tore, it bled. And so when I reached down and palpated in her femoral triangle down there in the femoral nerve, it was, ow, that's tender. I didn't know that was tender because the tendon was so tender. So I did 13 and 396 and 13 in the fascia. And it was done. But she couldn't contracted so when she went to lift her leg so we had her straighten her leg and then lift it she was arching her back and using her psoas she wouldn't use the quads right and it's like no so i just ran 40 and 89 she said what are you doing and it's like your brain's afraid to move it so we just have to as you would call it wipe and load so we have to make the brain stop being afraid to move it we did 40 and 89 And then her sensory and motor cortex initiates movement. And so we did 81 increased secretions in the sensory and motor cortex. And that, and then just had her contract it without trying to lift it. And it's like, okay, now you could find it. She tried to lift it, used her low back, went back to 40 and 89. And I thought to myself, Kim would be so proud. <laughs> yes, I would. And then once we got it, so she wasn't afraid of it, then we did 81 and 84, increased secretions in the cerebellum and had her lift the right one, mm. the injured one. Yeah. So the brain is like, oh, that's how you do it. And yeah. then did the left one, but wouldn't let her lift it all the way. 
Mm. So once you overstrain the muscle, then it goes back to old bad habits. Yeah. So, yeah. So when is hip pain not hip pain? Normally you would have treated extremity joint weak, you know, chronic or extremity joint because it's in my hip. Yeah. Palpate and it's like, that's not in your hip. That's in that tendon and it's torn. Right. Or partial thickness tear. Right. Don't you love being us? I, I, I guess, of course I do. <laughs> but I think, I think the greatest gift that you've given so many practitioners and I, we heard it time and time again, when we had the co-conspirators um, give you these messages, yeah. um, so many brilliant minds in that 30 minute video, right. Of people collaborating and, and talking about you. And these practitioners are from different backgrounds, all brilliant in, in, in their own medical worlds. And they all, almost all of them made some sort of comment how learning FSM taught them to think in different ways. And if that's all you do in your professional career is spark um, critical thinking in other people's professions, I mean, that in itself is an amazing feat. I think most of us that have done well with FSM, that was wise because we, even though you stay within your scope, you have to go lateral. You have to search. You have to, the hamster has to run in that wheel harder than ever before. Well, and the, the reason it works that way is that you have um, a tool that always does exactly what it's alleged to do. Yeah. So I had somebody today who's coming in on Monday with a really rare condition. And he said, well, how do I know you won't make me worse? And it's like, I promise I won't make you worse. Yeah. It's like frequencies always do what they're alleged to do. And the response is so fast yeah. that when there's a negative, when something doesn't feel right, I'll, I'll stop. Yeah. It isn't finished that fast, but it's, it works that fast. Right. So I have a I have a question from Alf up here that I really want to answer. Okay, let's let's go to some Q and A. Pretty cool. So um, we've got a few. We've got three. You're welcome. How would you go about enhancing the phrenic nerves' influence upon the diaphragm? So first, you have to look at why the phrenic nerve isn't working, right? So is there something intrinsic that has scarred the diaphragm? So if you think about the cerebellum. It does not notify, nor does it in negotiate. So if the phrenic nerve, if the diaphragm isn't contracting properly, is there something in the diaphragm? So are there, is there scar tissue? So we had the fundoplication um, presentation at the advanced. And is there some reason, is there something you need to fix in the diaphragm first? And your dog's in there with you? Yeah, it's been quiet today. I know. I'm, I'm, gonna, just... I'm gonna let her out as you're talking. Keep walking. Okay. And then, um, bye puppy. It's a good girl. And then um, that being said, the C3, four and five, this is the way that we memorized the phrenic nerve. 
C3, 4, and 5 keep the diaphragm alive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you'd look at, I'd put my finger right here and press in on both sides, one side at a time, and see if the 4, 5 disc was irritated. So is are the scalenes the longest coli on one side or the other at four or five or three, four, three, four is unusual, but four or five, not bad, not uncommon. So is that super tender? Now there's no real reflex associated with three, four or four or five, but if there's a disc at this level, then you treat the disc and then you treat the nerve for inflammation and you run the contact from the neck down to the diaphragm. And the diaphragm is a muscle. So it really depends on how do you know that the phrenic nerve is the problem with the diaphragm? There's that. And if it's the problem with the diaphragm, you treat the disc, if a disc is what caused it, and then you treat inflammation in the nerve because inflammation in the nerve gets in the way of the nerve functioning properly. And then you run that for what? Five, 10 minutes. Then you run increased secretions in the nerve and you have the patient do diaphragm exercises. So inhale, exhale, using their diaphragm, not their belly. So to inhale, the diaphragm drops and to exhale, the diaphragm has to well, contract actually, right? To exhale and inhale and exhale and do that with 81 and 396 and 81 and 84. It's not under conscious control, but it has to be coordinated. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens with diaphragmatic breathing is the chest has to expand, right? So it, you have to be able to expand outwards and down. Yeah. So if there, for some reason, the page, it really depends on why the phrenic nerve isn't working and why the diaphragm isn't working. So you've got adhesions in the nerves because of pneumonia, open heart surgery, fractures, right? Mm -hmm. That's why every case is not every case. Right. So you treat adhesions in the nerve and you get the patient to expand their chest outward first. Mm -hmm. And then you train the diaphragm by treating the phrenic nerve, by figuring out what's wrong with the phrenic nerve. Right. In the first place. Yeah. I'm really sorry it's not easier. I just don't know how else to think about it. No, I agree. And, and that's, that, that's not the, I'm sorry. It's the, you're welcome part of it because it, it isn't, it isn't a slam dunk. And that's the beauty of it is to, to think about why are we in this in the first place? How did we get here? Right. Um, I want to go to a couple comments while we have all the screens open for the Q and A. So Cynthia writes, thank you from the bottom of my heart, recovering from COVID at the moment. Um, FSM flu respiratory made an immediate difference on my worst day. Can't wait to continue my study. I use it with post-surgery folks in the doc in my office has come from skeptic to demanding. I see her clients and work on her. Yes, that's, that's fantastic. That's great. Running the program as I listen, anything for kids 
of taste and smell. Is that post COVID? Probably, right? That's uh, what she was talking about. Taste is going to be in the brain and smell is in the ethmoid sinus, which is really capillaries. Right. So capillaries and probably where is taste? Tongue goes to, is that sensory cortex? I don't know. I don't remember. Me neither. So I do capillaries and cortex myself. Just okay. and You could also look up where taste and smell are processed in the brain. And those are all, I think, frontal lobe. So right. worth a try. Isn't that um, fun? So fun. Jane writes, when I spoke remotely last month to a nutrition class at Life University about my integrative practice, I emphasized the importance of being able to find a practitioner who had been through the FSM training and whose scope of practice was different than mine, um, i.e. they were legally authorized to work with the technology, put their hands on my remote client. Because of my training in functional neurology, I could direct the testing of frequency um, combinations to address paralyzed muscles of the mouth, tongue, throat, etc., which were inhibiting my client's abilities to eat normally and receive sufficient nutrition through food. But I am not the one sensing the smoosh. Oh, that's the fun part. I observe blink rate via Zoom and suggest tests for different combinations of muscles to assess progress. Only because I was able to find a different type of licensed practitioner with training that we have been able. Um, Oh, did that, that one just moved. Create my um, nutrition client who is literally almost 3000 miles from me. Your oh. podcast help us try new things. Great. Yay. Okay. Cynthia, is there an FSM protocol specific to tinnitus? So the tinnitus story is sad. Um, tinnitus is um, like phantom limb pain for your cochlea, for your ears. So when you lose high frequency auditory input to the auditory centers in the brain, the brain starts talking to itself. So tinnitus is central, not peripheral. It's not something that your ears are doing. It's because you've lost auditory input from your cochlea at the high frequency range to your brain. And that's, there you go. So my solution for my tinnitus was this. When I put my hearing aids in, my tinnitus drops by 70, 80%. It's almost oh. completely gone. And after 10, well, 14 years, I've gotten used to it. So it's not as bothersome. Um, for patients that it's really that the noise bothers them, they're used to quiet. Um, Mine happened because I took a baby aspirin every day after my heart surgery in 2007. And exactly one year after the surgery, I woke up with tinnitus. Wow. So I have a gene that can't metabolize NSAIDs. And so aspirin is ototoxic. So it literally kills the high frequency, starts with the high frequency end of the cochlea. Right. So those little cells. So I started with tinnitus and then my hearing got worse. And then my daughter said, mom, you have to get hearing aids. And then I asked the audiologist at Good Sam, 
what causes tinnitus? And she said, oh, it's like phantom limb pain for the years. And that made so much sense. that it's- I've never thought of it like that. That's great. Who knew, right? Well, because you are thinking what causes this, not just this is what it is. Well, it's like people want to treat, and there's a very small percentage of tinnitus that is actually trigger points in the SCMs. Right. Yeah. Refers that makes your ears ring for some reason, probably because of where it's connected back here. But it's not a lot. It is a very small percentage. I think it's a small percentage and everybody wants to be able to fix it. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Last question. Um, so far. Hi, Kim. Hi. I've previously asked Carol, had no experience regarding scoliosis. Okay. You. Um, 13 year old granddaughter developed rather fast onset of cervical thoracic curve just over a year ago. She was last checked, had a 52 degree curve with winging scapula. She was very active and flexible, not a gymnast wondered about Ehlers-Danlos. Um, but she's only a minor, um, five with bait and score, both elbows, both pinkies, um, and palms to the floor, no pain, no weakness, wanting to know if you have any sudden or dramatic changes in curve with FSM or some minor stuff. So I Cairo specialized with gymnast with scoliosis, provided some specialized bracing, some exercises have not seen any positive changes. And in fact, the curve may have increased in the last six months. Okay. This could be like a, a double podcast just on, on this topic. I have a really short answer. Go start. 52 degrees scoliosis is surgical period. End of discussion, period. That's yeah. period. Once it gets past 25 or 30 degrees, the 52 degree curve, especially if it's cervical thoracic tends to compromise the neurologic structures that feed the heart, the lungs and the digestive system. And it's, you have to be careful. So search around for a surgeon that is experienced and knows about dorsal column problems and has a good reputation and don't take the first guy and take the guy that is easiest to talk to. So I have two requirements for a surgeon. One is that they be technically proficient. The second is that they're not a jerk. Those two are non-negotiable. So it doesn't do you any good if they're technically proficient and the patient has a problem afterwards and then the guy you're dealing with is a jerk. Yeah. 52 degrees, even in a 13 year old, yikes. So they don't usually fuse them for until they're older because the end plates aren't fused. Right. They'll want to put her in a brace and it's okay. Your turn. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things. I wasn't sure when the cutoff was for, for, for surgery, for sure at that 52 degrees, you are bracing and there's some level of PT to strengthen, but it's not a miracle FSM run it and can't touch it. Like there is a lot of, um, support that needs to go on. A big thing too, is the onset of Menzies at 13, they're going to be tracking it. Like you said, for, for growth plates. Um, so I would be, that would be one of my questions is if, if she started her period, you're looking at two years from the onset of that for 
they probably won't do anything until um, those growth plates are closed, but there's a lot you can do for pain and for strengthening in the meantime. Um, the muscles to try and balance out the curve. So that's where the physical rehab. Yes. I'm a knee jerk sort of response at 52. It's like, uh. right. And that's your chiropractic background that, um, is, is screaming at you for that. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. For sure. You would think there would be some sort of discussion about surgery. You didn't mention that anywhere, but just because surgery is on the radar, doesn't mean you just sit and act like a dead fish waiting for surgery to come along. There's a lot of, um, prehab work that you can do, um, to strengthen, um, and stabilize in the process, but it's, it's 52 degrees is significant. Well, and the fascinating thing is that they start doing scoliosis screenings in grammar school. So why it is that it wasn't picked up or commented on until it hit 52 at age 13 is a question. I've got, I have three daughters. They've been doing it since first grade. And I just actually went to a spine surgeon two weeks ago with my youngest who, um, who flagged on the, um, standing flexion test. She was at a five on their little, um, what's it called the measure that they use. Can't remember. Um, anyways, hers was only 12 degrees. Um, after she got her x-rays done, it was totally fine and normal. We just leave it at that. But, um, yeah, I mean, she's, she's 11 and she's been flagged for this every single year since she was five. So Um, so then you, then you start looking at leg length inequalities, depending on where, where it is. And those still should track her until she's about 20. Yes. Right. Just eye on it, but she's only 12 degrees, but 52 degrees. And that isn't my chiropractic training. That's medical. That's what happens when it's not taken care of. What happens viscerally to patients where it's not taken care of. Right. And that's a really good point. You know, some people who want to bypass surgical stuff, it's not just a crooked spine. Like this doesn't happen in a vacuum. It is what the, to your point, when it's involving the thoracic spine, what are, what is that rib cage doing to the contents of that rib cage when it's not in proper um, alignment? Yeah. It's um, sorry, Stephen. Uh, but Kim's right about strengthening and bracing and the conventional treatments for scoliosis have really improved in the last 25 years, I'd say. Yeah. Um, the biggest problem with scoliosis is nobody knows what causes it. Correct. So they've, I've had, I've seen chiropractic approaches to scoliosis that claim that it comes from this one thing. And it's like, no, no, just no. So it's, and I've never, I've only treated one or two, but I've never successfully treated or reversed scoliosis with FSM. Right. There, scoliosis, that word can be thrown around just like my next topic here, like um, frozen shoulder though. I have a lot of people that say I have scoliosis and it's functional scoliosis on x-rays, it's normal. It's musculoskeletal. We do see it with teenagers a ton, um, women that also wear shoulder bags on one shoulder. So one shoulder is hiked up on one side, which forces the lateral hip to pop on the other. 
but this is a functional, um, structural or functional, um, problem. It's not structural. So people can get caught up in, Oh, I have scoliosis. No, you have x-rays that look completely normal. You have a muscle imbalance. Um, but something that's been diagnosed with a 52 degree curve with scapular winging is, um, not functional. So there's going to be intervention there. Yeah. Um, Manette writes, thanks to FSM. I was able to treat strep without taking antibiotics. Wanted to try it on myself and it worked. Wow. And we all know my feelings about that. It's like from just a legal liability standpoint, it just the consequences of strep, especially strep infections are so profound medically, so dangerous. Cardiovascular system and brain are the two I know about um, that you don't want to mess with them. Right. right. So I don't mind taking antibiotics and treating for strep. And I'm glad you didn't have to take antibiotics. If I was stuck on a desert island with, you know, 3000 patients and two precision cares and a custom care and a lifetime supply of D-cell batteries, I would, of course I would treat strep because we, I've actually treated beta hemolytic strep before successfully one day in Australia in a hotel room. And it's like, she had a big red spot on her thigh and we treated her for an hour. And at the end of the hour, it was the size of a quarter. So wow. it was like from eight centimeters across to the size of a quarter. And then the next morning, the abscess in her tooth that was causing it burst, ruptured. And she was a naturopath. She said, I'd rather die than take antibiotics. And I said, well, that may be actually what we're talking about. Hope, hope that your determination it's, holds the same. And um, so I've done it before, but it's not anything that anybody with... Um, any ethical conscience could recommend. I'm glad it worked for you, but there's it, that. It's funny. A couple of years ago, I was working with an athlete who was the biggest skeptic of FSM and me. And about a year and a half later, I get a, a message. Can we zoom? Um, I need your help. And usually when I get those types of emails, it's from an injury. They want, like, they want to show me some sort of swelling or they want me to see if their leads are on the right way. And so I said, sure, absolutely. And it was, it was a close-up of his throat. He's like, do my tonsils look bad to you? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what tonsils are. Like. Go to urgent care and have him look and take a sample. Right. So okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you trust me and you trust FSM, but there's sometimes where you want to just pass that off to mainstream medicine and get that taken care of. So that's funny. Um, so Leaf writes, there's a great scoliosis surgeon in Portland who straightened out my 75 year old aunt several years ago. Oh, somebody waited till they were wow. three. Wow. Two. Wow. That's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So one of the questions that we saw on the FSM practitioner page the other day um, kind of made me mad. 
Um, I feel like I have to have like a rant and a rave every time we have the podcast right now. Because <laughs> I love it when you rant. <laughs> so it was about patellofemoral syndrome. Oh dear. <laughs> so, so your face right now and your expression is what I feel whenever I see anything that ends in the word syndrome. Um, but especially patellofemoral syndrome, I feel like whoever came up with that garbage can diagnosis, those doctors were collectively the laziest doctors on the planet. What does that even mean, by the way? What is patellofemoral syndrome? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Because when we break this down, the patella and the femur, right? Patellofemoral syndrome. What is, what does that mean? The relationship between the patella and the femur is what? Caddy wampus? Caddy wampus. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Let's go with that. Let's follow me down the rabbit hole. So the patella is not gliding with the femur on top of the femur the way it's supposed to. Okay. The patella is a sesamoid bone, right? It's not a, a hinge joint. It's at the mercy of the quadriceps family the whole, all of the whole family attached to the patella, the whole family. So figure out what is happening, why that quadricep family is dysfunctional. Okay. The pause is real here because the two of us are looking at each other (laughs) with this kind of stunned look like, Okay. And somebody actually wrote, and I, I'm going to give this person a piece of cyber chocolate on our message board was like, well, what's going on with the patellofemoral syndrome? What are the symptoms? What does it have? And, you know, I couldn't read all of it, but I was like, exactly like figure out, oh, the person, oh, pain after running pain after jumping. Well, duh, because that's what the quadriceps are involved in. But is there a weakness? Is there a tightness? Is there trigger points, scar tissue. What are their hips doing? What's their low back look like? Are there discs? And and wait, did they have number one in my head? Did they have a groin injury eight months ago? So the right, the quads and the adductors, the whole femoral plexus is going to be adhered and tight and not firing correctly. Right. And patellofemoral syndrome in my head is roughly equivalent to the old BS diagnosis of chondromalacia patella. Exactly. That, that's like, I had somebody tell me that that's what I had. It was uh-huh. an orthopedic surgeon and he was, well, my dear, I'm afraid you have chondromalacia patella. And it's like, what is that? Is that bad? <laughs> yeah. What do I do about it? He said, well, it's because you're running. Well, yeah. And yeah, that, that's it. We didn't even inject steroids or do anything for thankfully silly like that, but okay. That's a good face. But again, I- and this isn't just with chondromalacia patella, patellofemoral or frozen shoulder, anything else that ends with the word syndrome. Right. And I think patients, when patients that are listening right now, the lay people, When your doctor diagnoses you with something that ends in the word syndrome, 
ask the question that you said, what does that mean? Well, what is that? Now, what do I do about it? Don't just be satisfied with this label that they've decided to slap on you because all that means is that there's a collection of symptoms that they couldn't figure out what caused or how to fix. And they put them into a bucket and said, everybody that comes in with these symptoms, we're going to name it this because this is what we need to do. And the cure is unlikely to be a tricyclic and a depressant deficiency. Just saying. Okay. Continue. No, but when there's so many different symptoms and signs that go into something like patellofemoral syndrome, there's not going to be one cure because it's not caused by the same thing. It's caused by a multitude of of possibilities. And when the cure is to stop running, that's when you ask for a new doctor. Sorry. There, I, I, right? Sorry. The other thing that I, I, I want to clarify and people who've taken the sports course, especially the new sports advanced, we talk a lot about the acronym meth that we're seeing a lot in sports medicine. We're getting away from the acronym rice and we're moving into the acronym meth. Why we couldn't choose math is beyond me. Rice stands for rest, ice, compression, and elevation. Okay. That's what we used to do when there was an acute injury. A lot of data in the last 10 years is showing that ice didn't actually do a lot for healing. It helped maybe in the short, immediate term for inflammation, but it did nothing for healing. So there's a fantastic study that I will cite at some point. I'll give it to Kevin to put on the loop showing, and it was for DOMS or delayed onset muscle soreness. They were icing these little mice. So their quadriceps, I don't know how they made the mice work out, but they, they did. And they, they, their little legs were tired. So they iced these little mice and don't ask me how they, I have the images of like strapping little ice chips to these guys, but they iced the mice and they were taking biopsies and they showed that the immediate inflammation and immediate within the first hour went down. Okay, great. So the mice that didn't get iced had all this post-exertional inflammation, like, oh, ice is actually good. However, a few hours later, a few days later, the mice that didn't receive the ice actually ended up repairing because they needed that inflammation to come in to help push through the bad inflammation and bring forth the good nutrients that would help promote healing and hypertrophy, which is the growth of the muscle. So we went with this and actually the Canadians and the Swedish um, scientists were the ones that were starting to use. Okay, well, if we don't use ice, what if we did the opposite and we used heat and we used heat on the muscle bellies and that promoted the most healing. So we're getting away from rice and we're going into meth. Meth stands for movement. We all we want to keep moving an injury as much as possible elevate, obviously when something is really inflamed above the level of the heart traction, this can be therapist applied, but even if you slightly open a joint that can help traction, the capsule that can help traction, the soft tissue around it. And then using heat on the muscle belly away from the joint, because you want to promote the healing. And that is what we do with FSM. So when we use heat in the form of hot 
wet towel, so deep moist heat with FSM, that's the mind-blowing experience that you get. Yep, and reducing inflammation and stopping the bleeding. Right. So, and and again, to to that study that they were showing, the ice helped take away the inflammation right away, but it didn't stop the bleeding. And you need to, you know, Dr. Roger Billica always talks about, um, he talks about the most complex things, but he dumbs it down for people so nicely, right? You got to put in the good and take out the bad, right? And so that's... And when I was a kid, I was 12 years old. My mom had me take judo. So I would never be afraid to go anywhere, anytime. I would never be afraid. Okay. So I took judo. And of course, the first class, they're having us 12-year-olds do... 20 or 40 sit-ups so the next day my abdomen was so sore I could hardly you know stand it and my dad who used to play football in college said yeah I hate to tell you but what you need to do is do more sit-ups today it's like get out he said no I swear to god don't do 40 but do 10 or 15 right and just move it okay so And then the next day I was less sore. So I did some more. And then the next day I was less sore and I didn't think about it. Then the next week when I went back to class, we did 40 sit-ups and I didn't have any pain at all. Yeah. Right. So movement even back then in the fifties was, was something that they at least thought of. Right. This meth, I wish there was a different act. I know we have to change the elevation to maybe like um, altitude or, or something or like, I don't know, up there somehow. But yeah, it's a terrible acronym, but I love that we're using um, movement a lot more and we're using heat. People are so af- afraid of using heat. And, um, you know, that's why I love the hypoxia frequencies in, you know, peripheral injuries, old chronic peripheral injuries, because we need to give it the good stuff. Uh-huh. Do we have another question before we move on? Oh, we just have Stephen uh, Freeman. Thanks for the support. I'm in North Carolina with three medical schools within 150 miles, probably several good surgeons. Just hard for me to send my granddaughter to the operating room. I'm just a retired physical therapist with a wife RN, ooh, neurosurgery background for 12 years, went into home health. It's like, and when you've been in neurosurgery, Anytime you spend any time on a surgical floor or cardiac care floor, you know all the bad things that can happen. Good contact, still think the, to, the fillet your child option is just terrible. 2010, Stephen, try, try. See, the thing with scoliosis is it's never made any sense to me to be a local physical phenomenon. You know that the central nervous system is involved, right? And I've never tried this before. So I wonder if trauma 124 and the cerebellum, or is it coming out of the sensory motor cortex? What makes the sensory motor cortex or the cerebellum decide that the muscles on one, because it's not the bones, it's gotta be neuromuscular. So what makes the cerebellum or the sensory motor cortex decide 
that the muscles on one side should be super short and corkscrew your little spine in your 13 year old spine into a 52 degree curve. So try treating the cerebellum and the sensory motor cortex. Um, and I understand completely the don't fillet your granddaughter problem. It's like, yikes. Oh. Yeah, I know, but 52 degrees is scary. It's, yeah. And like you said, you have to think of like, you know, the outcome too, of letting this go even further and, you know, possible repercussions of the viscera. Um, well, and as the growth plates firm up, what's going to happen? Is it going to get better? Or is it going to get worse? Yes. In general, the idea is they always get worse. Right. So maybe go with the cerebellum and the sensory motor cortex and tell me if it works. It's a great idea. Denise writes, FSM provides a free high in many ways. Now meth can be looked at the same. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good and bad. And Manette gave me a new acronym for A for above. I love it. Now we can tell our kids to do math, movement above traction and heat. Very good, Manette. You get chocolate. Okay. Perfect. Well, that's almost it for today. We're like cruising through everything. Um, cool. Do you have any last minute announcements that you need to make about the clinic or anything or anything that's special that you need to say before we sign off? We have a practicum weekend coming up in Portland. We're going to Jacksonville. We almost changed to Atlanta, but we, when are we in Jacksonville? Next month which is end April, April, end of wow. April. And then end of May, we're in Denver. And then we're going to Italy. Yes. So there we go. We all I will be that. here with all of our guests that we have lined up. I have an action-packed June okay. without you. <laughs> Yay. It's nice to know that I'm not, well, <laughs> you can carry on without me. That's, that's important when you get, get to the age where you want to semi-retire is here, you children go play. Yeah. <laughs> Do good things. I believe in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. So the practicum weekends are, if anybody wants more information, it's on the website, frequencyspecific.com. You can check it out. And those are such a great idea for people to go. And especially everybody who's taken the course through, um, uh, I always want to say DVD, but we're not on DVD, live stream. Live stream or video. So if you've taken the course, the the two-day practicum, I think, is or one of the two days is included. Um, but in addition to that, those of you that took FSM years ago, the practicums have changed so dramatically. Yeah. That and the the protocols have changed. That you owe it to yourself, even if you didn't just take the course live stream or on video in the last two years. If you took the course 10 years ago and you haven't taken the course since, come and join us for the weekend. I do have chocolate, that, that part is consistent. We do serve lunch and everybody gets to visit. Um, and the practicums, we always learn something. Every single time there's some, some new discovery. Yes. So that the practicum weekends are really fun. Yeah, that's such a great um, thing that we've implemented since COVID. So 
Thank you, COVID. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. All right. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll Thank see you. you again next week. Keep the questions and comments coming. I will have a new rant and a new rave, I'm sure, by next week. <laughs> and you're super, you, I'm, I'm used to you having a, a list, an agenda. We did. We we covered quite a few things, but you know, I always leave wiggle room for for some questions and for you to tell your story. So that sounds good. Yes. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll see y'all next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.